0: Well, um, last week, we looked at one verse in Colossians chapter 2. We looked at verse 15, which says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And uh, what, what we said was this. While most people walking by the cross that day would look at Jesus hanging on the cross and would say, well, his, his enemies disarmed him. And they put him to open shame. And they're the ones who triumphed over him. What this verse is saying is that Jesus, by dying on the cross, was disarming Satan and his legions and shaming Satan and triumphing over Satan and his demonic hosts. Now, if you missed the sermon last week, we asked 10 questions of this verse. So it was kind of a Q&A type of sermon. I'm not going to go over all of them, but let me remind you of a couple of things. We asked the question, well, well how? did Jesus disarm Satan on the cross? And and the answer is simply, he did this. He took away Satan's legal basis to accuse us. And he he took away Satan's legal basis for accusing God of being unjust. Because if God is going to let sinners into heaven... How can a just and holy God do that? There must be payment. And how, how, can, uh, uh, how can we be let into heaven? We're dirty sinners. So Christ pays the, the, the penalty, taking away Satan's legal basis for accusation. So uh, another question then that that raised was this. So did Jesus, when he paid the debt for our sin on the cross, did he pay it to Satan? And we said, no, no, no. Uh, despite the lion, witch, in the wardrobe story, which might give that impression, the debt we owe for our sin is to God. So Jesus was paying the debt to God the Father for our sin, and then that raises the next question. Well, what role then does Satan have in all this? Well... He's the accuser, as Revelation 2.10 says, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan is like the prosecuting attorney. He's not the judge, he's not the bailiff, he's the prosecuting attorney, and Jesus, by paying the debt to God the Father, has taken away the prosecutor's basis for accusation. So then the next question is, well, does that mean that, that Satan's no threat? There's no problem. Don't even worry about him. No. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he was defeated on the cross, but he's still alive, and he's still described as a lion here. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, he is, his, his modus operandi is deception and lies. Ephesians 4.27, give no opportunity to the devil. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So, he was defeated at the cross, yet we are still warned... That he is out there like a lion. Well, well, what's going on here? Well, he's a defeated enemy, but there's still an enemy. Well, if he's defeated, what's his basis now for attacking us? Lies. His, his main way of attacking you believers is by lying, by trying to cloud your mind and confuse you about the gospel and say, you're a sinner, you're no good, God doesn't love you, you're not going to heaven, you're not saved. His basis of attack is lying. And I gave you the illustration last week of the, of the boy who took the, the bee and pulled the stinger out. The bee was still a buzzing. And he put that in his, this other boy's trousers, and he was hopping around and screaming. And the boy said, oh, don't worry. He's a buzzin', but he's got no sting. That's how we look at Satan. Now, he's a buzzin'. He uh, he, in fact, he can even physically be behind persecution. You can even die. But he's got no sting. Because if a Christian dies, guess where he goes? Straight to heaven, right? Now, um, Ephesians six says, "Put on the whole armor of God." What's that all about? Well, that's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about this morning. Paul, who's in prison, looks out, and every day he sees a Roman prison guard, who was a soldier. And he was in the armor, the the armor that the Roman soldiers wore. And Paul says, ah, I'm going to use that. Everybody's familiar with Roman soldiers. They walk around uh, the Roman Empire all the time. I'm going to use that, that soldier's armor as an analogy of how we are to guard ourselves against Satan's lies and his accusations. So in essence, the heart of spiritual warfare For you, a believer, for you, a Christian, is this. Knowing how to protect yourself with the truth of the gospel. It's not some mysterious secret prayer that will give you magical protection. It's basically knowing how to fight Satan with the gospel. It's knowing that he's a liar and resisting him with the truth. So let's take a look at Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our ultimate battle, spiritually speaking, is against (laughs) Satan and his legions of lying demons. Okay, Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, what is the evil day? It's the day Satan comes at you with full force and tries to convince you that you're going to hell. You're a failure. You're not a believer. God's wrath is coming upon you. And by the way, if you, Christian, have never experienced this, praise God. But I need to warn you that at some point, you probably will experience this attack. Okay. And notice that the victory here is simply to be left standing in the end. This is not a time when you're advancing and you're taking ground. After the onslaught comes, you're defending yourself and to be left standing is a victory. Okay, So, how do we prepare for that coming day? Well, let's take a look at each piece of the armor. First one is the belt. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The the belt was what held the whole uniform together. I mean, today we have uh, fitted pants and shirts and suits and everything. The belt's kind of a a bling accessory. A lot of people could live today without a belt, right? Back then, it's what held... uh, Everything together. If the belt broke off uh, in battle, the armor would fall apart and be useless. He would be defenseless. So, what's the belt? The belt of truth. The essential truth of of the Christian faith. The basics of the Bible. The basics of the word of God. So so here, to be ready for Satan's attack, you need to be grounded in the Word of God. You need to know it. You need to love it. You need to study it. You know, uh, George Barna is the guy who does the surveys about Christians and Christian beliefs and so forth. And um, He did one recently. He says, current research revealed that only 9% of all American adults, have a biblical worldview. Born-again Christians were twice as likely as the average adult uh, adult to possess a biblical worldview. However, that meant that even among born-again Christians, less than one out of every five, or 19%, had such an outlook on life. So what he's saying is, 80% 80% of people who call themselves born-again Christians don't even have a basic Christian worldview. Right? For example, 46% of born-again Christians believe uh, in absolute moral truth. Well, what about the other half? If you don't even believe in absolute moral truth, what's that say about the belt of truth holding you together? Right? 60% of born-again Christians don't believe Satan is a real force. Well, who's going to win that war? Right. of born-again Christians strongly reject the notion of earning salvation through their deeds. Well, good for them. What about the other half? 62% of born-again Christians strongly believe that Jesus was sinless. What about the rest? Right. So it goes on and on and on. It shows that so many Christians don't even have a grasp of the basics. Yet Paul says, when that day comes, you need to have the belt of truth firmly Uh, wrapped around you to hold you together. Are you in the word? Are you in the word? Are you in the word? Okay. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, uh, this is that leather breastplate that was strapped around the chest, and it's protecting your heart and your internal organs. Now, question amongst commentators over the years has been this, is the breastplate of righteousness that's protecting our heart and our internal organs, is that, it's called the breastplate of righteousness, is that our righteousness? You know, Christ is cleaning us up. Do we hold up, hey Satan, um, I used to swear, but now I don't swear as much, hey Satan, Um, I used to have this struggle, now I'm I'm growing in that area. Is it our righteousness that we're holding up? Or is it Christ's imputed, borrowed righteousness? Well, my answer to that question is this. If it's my righteousness that I'm holding up, I'm doomed. (laughs) Right? Satan's attack is always about your lack of righteousness. So if you're going to go toe-to-toe with him by trying to defend your record, you lose. That's why I say the essence of spiritual warfare and the spiritual armor is the gospel. So the breastplate of righteousness is remembering the beautiful truth of the gospel that we are saved by Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness. You know, the kids on Wednesday night are studying uh, Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. And uh, Bunyan went through a terrible battle, a terrible attack of Satan, doubting his salvation. And as he was walking through a field one day, it says one day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul: "Thy righteousness is in heaven." Okay, John Bunyan, your righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, "Where is your righteousness?" For it is always right before him. It's kind of like, you know, in a debate, when the other side wants to egg you on and get you embroiled into some, some issue, Satan wants to get you holding up your righteousness and defending your righteousness. And the solution here is to say, I'm not even going to play that game. You, you win on my righteousness, but my righteousness is Christ and Christ alone. As Paul says in Philippians 3.9, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Yes, there's a, there's a righteousness that God produces in us, But that's not what we hold up. We hold up the righteousness that is by faith. Christ's record, not our record. That's the key right there, folks. When that day comes, whose righteousness are you going to hold up? Yours or his? Okay. Next piece of armor. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So here you're putting on your gospel shoes. Okay, Now, there's a debate here. What are these referring to? Now, some would say, well, these are referring to you put on your shoes that give you mobility so you can be spreading the gospel and overcoming Satan. No, 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 no. I mean, there's a place for that, of course. Beautiful are the feet of of those who bring good news. Yes, you you are to spread the gospel, but here you're under attack. These are fighting shoes with cleats. The the Roman soldier took shoes and pounded nails on the inside, and they came out the bottom. So in essence, they were cleats. So you could take your stand on the ground when the accusations come, when the when the the enemy comes, and in Satan's case, it's accusations. You can stand firm and notice the word peace. What's that referring to? Satan's going to try to convince you that God is at war with you, that his wrath is hanging over your head. And we remind him and we remind ourselves about Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified... By faith, since we have placed our faith in Christ and God has pronounced us just, perfect in his sight, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been justified in the past, right now, Satan, we have peace with God. Okay, This is why, folks, the doctrine of justification by faith alone matters. I told you before, this week, we're gonna, or this week, this year, we're going to hear all about the Reformation. Martin Luther and the Solas and all. And, and the, the media is going to say, ah, that was an unfortunate mistake. Can't we all just get along? And in that, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, I think, is going to be swept under the rug. And I think you're sweeping away your armor here. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So, picture not only arrows coming at you, but they're on fire. And if they stick in you, you're going up in flames. At least if Braveheart is right, you know. So. You have to have your shield of faith. Now, I think I've learned this from my wife, that the shield back then was not just this little round shield, but it was the size of a door, right? It's a big door. What is the shield of faith? Well, well, here, I don't think faith is just referring to place your trust in Jesus and you're saved. I think it's the bigger faith, that God is sovereign. It's the bigger faith that Romans 8.31 is true. If God is for us because of Christ, if God is for us, and the, the, the assumption is he is because of Christ, who can be against us? It's the faith that we're on the winning team. right? We're not on the losing team, we're on the winning team, and God is not our enemy, he is for us. And even though we may be losing the battle right now, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He's going to even work this battle together to win the ultimate war. Right. So, the shield of faith is being reminded as you go that, yep, there's an arrow. There's an arrow. Oh, I'm gonna panic. I'm fought. no. Wait a minute. I'm on the winning team, and I can extinguish those arrows by just trusting that God has got my back. He's got my front. He's working all this together for good. Okay. And take the helmet of salvation. Now, folks, this verse makes no sense if Paul believes that you can lose your salvation. If true salvation can be lost, how is it a helmet? It's a paper hat. Right? Go to war with a paper hat. The helmet of salvation protects you because this is true. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That protects your head. So you can get in there and fight. I'm going to heaven. If I die, it's good for me. So the helmet of salvation, I, th- I think you need to be grounded in your knowledge of being able to defend the truth that you can't lose your salvation. Can you do that? Because when the day of evil comes, and you think you can lose it, you've lost it. and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this is the only offensive weapon. And this is referring to knowledge of specific truth that can be used to counteract the specific lies that Satan is throwing at you. Now, you say well, how much do I need to know? I mean, how will I ever take it all in? And um, you know what? Just be in the Word. Be in a Bible study. Be in church. Just keep taking it in. And what I found is that under attack, the Holy Spirit helps bring to mind, he, he brings from your stored memory and puts into your ram memory the verses you need at the time okay so i think i shared this with some of you the other day i was in my favorite place to go for sermon illustrations walmart right and this is not the pig's feet story this is the uh, i was in the deodorant aisle hey we all use it all right and if not we should all right, so there I was in the deodorant aisle, and um, two guys start coming at me down the aisle, uh, suits and ties—not <laughs> your average Walmart shopper. <laughs> right? So I thought they were the guys who were trying to sell Direct TV or something like that, and they come up to me and they go, uh, "Hey, what's your name?" <laughs> I go, "Who's asking?" Because this is not normal, guys, right? And um, they said, "Oh, this is," and whatever his name was, and this is my friend Billy Bob. No, they weren't. They weren't sub. They, they, it was Bob and Joe, let's say, okay. And um, they said, "We're theology students, and we'd like to share some truth with you. Can we talk to you about God?" (Laughter) <laughs> And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this aisle here, the deodorant aisle. And um, so I go, where are you theology students? And they named some church name. And uh, I said, so what, what," you know, in essence, I said, what are you selling? And um, they said, oh, well, we'd like to tell you uh, that in the Bible, there's truth about God being, there's a father God, and there's also a mother God really? I go, tell me about the mother God. Where is she? And they said, Genesis 126. God created them in, he says, let us make uh, them in our image. And in his image, he created them male and female. He created them. And he says, you know, or I said, I, I, I teach Genesis and I've never seen that. Is there anything in the New Testament? And they said, yeah, in Galatians 4 where it talks about the Jerusalem above is our mother. And I said, you know, I teach Galatians too, and I never saw that. You know why? It's not in there. (laughs) And then I used the word hermeneutics, and they go, what's that? And I said, well, that's a Greek word for uh, interpretation. Oh, you've been taught the doctrines of man. (laughs) So there, there you go. If, use that one. Whenever you deal with cults, they're going to, if you start, if you talk about the Trinity, if you talk about justification by faith alone, yeah, they're going to say, oh, you've been taught the doctrines of man, okay? Um, so then I said, well, who? do you have a teacher? Oh, yeah, we have a pastor. I go, you've been taught the doctrines of man. Um, but here's the big thing, and I, I, you guys didn't know this, but Jesus has already returned. I go well. Where is he? And they didn't want to answer that question. Well, where is he? If, if I've missed him, where is he? And who is he? He's un sun dun something in South Korea. I go. So you're telling me Jesus is in South Korea? Oh yeah. So now some of you may. This is like this is a bigger movement than the Jehovah's Witnesses these days. It's in South Korea, three thousand churches spreading to America. Um, but here I'm praying, Holy Spirit, give me, give me a verse. And what came to mind was Matthew 24. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So, so if somebody says he's in South Korea, okay, or in some temple somewhere, don't buy it. Why? Why? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And I, I kind of, and I didn't quote it exactly, but I said, Jesus is going to return and it's going to be like the lightning. Everybody's going to see it. Now they had a response. It was, oh, well, you're taking that literally. go. <laughs> I Well, he did say as he ascended into heaven in Acts that he would return just the way um, so at, at some point, then they saw they weren't going to get anywhere. Um, now, of course, then they wanted to leave. And I go, Where are you going? Where? And I said, God sent me to talk to you. And they ran, <laughs> ran away. But I was able to stand. Um, I didn't convince them. But my prayer would be that. That instead of bowling people over, they ran in, they, they'll they go back to their, their cult and say, I ran into a guy in Walmart, and he seemed to know what he was talking about, and there, he had some verses, and maybe they'll look these up. Okay, But that's how it works. You have a general knowledge. You don't have to be a full-time cult studier. You just need to know the, the truth well enough that when you start to hear craziness, some little flags go off. And you can say, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Okay? Then finally, praying at all times in the Spirit. And here's where, um, guys, the Christian life is not just you alone with your Bible. You have, uh, the, the only way I can think of it is you've got Bluetooth connection to the Commander right? You can be praying in the midst of a battle like that. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, show me what verse. Lord, help me to fight against Satan. Bring to mind the right verse. Show me this. Show me that. Bring along a friend who can help me, okay? But the big picture that I want you to walk away with this morning is this is not some secret, mysterious, Uh, armor that's only for super-spiritual people. Putting on the full armor of God really boils down to being grounded in this. Thy righteousness is in heaven. The confidence of my salvation is based on Jesus' blood and righteousness, not mine. And I'm going to stake my claim and take my stand against the assaults of the evil one on that truth. So let's bow, and we'll have the worship team come up. Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling right now as they listen to the lies of the evil one. Ground them in the truth, Lord. Thank you that as Satan lies and manipulates that we can take our stand on the truth of the gospel that he paid it all, that our confidence is in him, that we don't have to hold up our own record, but his perfect record and his death on the cross is our confidence, our shield, our everything. So, Lord, may we, uh, may we leave this morning rejoicing in Christ's righteousness. And It's in his name we pray. Amen.